making a difference is being recorded in front of God and the ancestors. And I hope they're pleased. There was a golf tournament that took place in Augusta last week. And, you know, a lot of people call it the Masters. I call it that golf tournament because words have meaning and words manifest destiny. Of course, anytime this golf tournament takes place, people get really excited about capitalism. They really want to talk about hustling and all these different types of things. There's a fella I know. He's a cool cat. You know, generally nice guy, man. Very productive fella. Said one year he was an Uber driver for folks who wanted to get to and from the golf tournament. Said he made $8,000 in six days. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, man. If you told me I could make $8,000 in six weeks, I'd be pretty excited about that. But $8,000 in six days really speaks to a level of economy that most of us cannot identify with. Now, this young man filed his week of success or that previous week of success under hustle mentality. And that would sound good, except everyone doesn't have access to that level of excess. If they did, I'm pretty sure they would take advantage of it or capitalize on it. With that said, as far as hustlers go, you won't find a better hustler associated with that golf tournament than Calvin Pete. Now, if you don't know who Calvin Pete is, I get it. You know, he's one of those names that's been lost in time. And, you know, it's one of those black history facts that, you know, get lost in the cracks. But Calvin Pete was the greatest black golfer before Tiger Woods. Now, I looked up Calvin Pete and Oh, Calvin got my attention because Calvin and I share a birthday, July 18th. Mr. Pete has a very interesting story. When he was 12 years old, he went to his grandma's house and did what I used to do at my grandma's house, God rest his soul. Used to climb trees. Now, Mr. Pete fell out of a tree. And when he fell out of a tree, he broke his arm in such a way that he was not able to straighten it back out again. Now, this sounds like a tragedy of sorts, except as it turned out, that injury did a hell of a lot for his golf swing. Now, Mr. Pete ended up playing golf since he was 23 years old. And so what happened between 12 and 23 was a lot of hustling. A lot of selling clothes and jewelry and basically anything he could get his hands on. Calvin Pete, once he did join the PGA Tour, went on to win 12 times and was the subject of a May 1983 commentary in the Washington Post. The writer, it will absolutely blow your mind, was Arthur Ashe. Now, Arthur Ashe is arguably the greatest black male tennis player who ever played that game. Now, Arthur Ashe chronicled Calvin Pete's comments at that particular tournament in 1983, and Mr. Pete spoke a lot about that tournament like I did. He said it was just another tournament. Now, Arthur Ashe went through a lot of trouble, you know, talking about how he understood where he was, where Mr. Pete was coming from, his frustration, and it really is a good commentary. But I'll tell you what, Mr. Pete captured it pretty well himself. He said these traditions were made by newspaper men, talking about Augusta National. Till the elder came, the only blacks here were caddies and waiters. To ask a black man how he feels about the traditions of the masters is like asking him how he feels about his forefathers 
who were slaves. There's a lot to talk about today. I could talk about how, you know, Augusta gets things right in the city one week a year, but the problem with that is there are 52 weeks in a year. I could talk about select access to excess and how we're just not able to sate the appetites of those who have corporate greed. But I really just want to give due respect to Calvin Pete. And Calvin Pete, I'll tell you what, has a favorite quote. And it really shook me when I found out what it was. It said, in order to change, you must first make a difference. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Thank you guys for checking in. Very excited, as always, to be on the podcast. A lot of different ways that, you know, I'm able to express myself and, you know, just share my thoughts with the world. It happens a bunch with writing, but never want to get too far away from the mic, man. I'm just, uh, and particularly with this episode, and I had a chance to speak about it on the uh, Making a Difference Facebook page. If you uh, haven't, or if, rather if you're on Facebook, uh, obviously, would encourage you to go to facebook.com backslash making a different show. Making, of course, is M-A-K-I-N, a different show. Would encourage you to go there. And I shared a post where folks are talking about all the private jets in Augusta. And, of course, that was associated, you know, with the golf tournament. And, you know, people were talking about all, a whole bunch of different things, climate change. And, you know, there's so much money here and opportunities and blah, blah, blah. And I described that dynamic as select access to excess. And to be clear, the cost of operating a private jet is obnoxious, extravagant, to put it mildly. And the fact that so many people were able to, well, I'll put it this way, not so many people, there were so many private jets out there, which is to say, you know, obviously folks come from all over the world to this tournament, but it just speaks to the excess that some, that so many, that, those people had. And that is to say that there are few people with so much and there are a lot of people with so little. And I truly believe that's intertwined in that tournament and in the legacy of Augusta national. And that's just one of the reasons, you know, why I have an issue with it. I don't want to harp too much on that. I really want to focus on the city of Augusta and what can be done over 52 weeks Um, that it does get right on one week. And to do that, I want to use a term that gets used a lot in the podcast space in Augusta, and that is more than the masters. Now, the idea of more than the masters, the ideology of more than the masters, I would say that uh, the host of that podcast, uh, one main Bradley, Bobby Boucher, depending on your preference, um, has spoken about uh, very uh, eloquently multiple times. I'll simply say when I think about more than the masters, I think of political imagination. I think of, you know, uh, black self-determination. I think of freedom in a way to that challenges government to 
not just do for the rich, but to do for everyone. And really, that is supposed to be the definition of government. That is what that is how government is supposed to operate. It's this idea that taxpayers pay in and you get a return on your investment. Now, there are various challenges for why that doesn't happen. In Augusta, there are um, unique, I won't say unique circumstances. There are flashpoints that people should know about. And if you don't know about them, fortunately, making a difference over these next few days and weeks, because we're really going to put you in the pocket of why these things are going on. If you don't know about the 1970 Augusta riot, that is something that you need to know about. Uh, it is uh, arguably uh, one of the most important, uh, if not saddest events um, in Augusta history. I look forward to having conversations and bringing up uh, previous dialogues uh, in the coming weeks as we uh, lead up to uh, the commemoration of that sad event and really just a, an, an informational opportunity. Uh, I can tell you here in the short term that the week of May, I want to say this May 9th, 10th, 11th, uh, you will see a traveling exhibit um, that is being put together by the 1970 Augusta Riot Committee, of which I'm a member, very proud member. And, But at any rate, the 1970 Augusta Riot is a flashpoint for why race relations, you know, why they exist and why there's such racial angst in Augusta, the 1970 Augusta riot is certainly a part of that. There's also the effect of consolidation in Augusta. Now consolidation is to be frank. It is the illusion of unity. It's this idea that if we have five black commissioners and five white commissioners, then everything will be equitable in Augusta. And that simply has not been the case. I can say in, you know, in black politics, in Augusta politics, whether it's your school board, whether it's your commission, oftentimes it is black people who are inconvenienced. You know, when decisions happen, you know, when you have to right size schools, when you have to close schools down, that often happens in black communities. And so, you know, that uproots parents and students in a way where they have to find transportation to get their kids, you know, to, you know, a school that's maybe much further than their current residence. So, you know, and that's just a, a small example of, of challenges. I would, I would simply say, when we talk about more than the masters, it's an idea. And it's a beautiful idea because Augusta is a, I don't want to, I'm not using this term in a corny sense or in an uh, in, in integrationist sense. But it's a very diverse place, and it's a place with a lot of creativity. It's a place with a lot of, a lot of talent. And I, and honestly, you know, you could say that about pretty much anywhere. And what I mean by that is, like, think about your workplace, and think about how many people in your workplace have various talents, and how often work interferes with those talents. Now. The start of the pandemic, 2020, you know, really put people in a, in a desperate position in, in terms of how they feel about employment. You know, it did create opportunities to create, um, you know, create opportunities for self-employment. Um, I'm, I'm a person who is is in that space and, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be in that space. I just think when we have conversations about, you know, self-employment and self-improvement, I think there's a way to have them in a in a more of a community-based sense and more of a collective sense than to have them in an indiv individual um in an individual um type of commentary. And I'll 
get to that, you know, as as the podcast goes on. But I do want to go back to this idea of political imagination when it comes to, you know, Augusta being a city of potential, a city by the river, a city that, you know, always says, you know, well, we have so much promise here if we do X, Y, Z. I'll be very clear about what needs to happen in Augusta. And it's as simple as how Augusta budgets its resources. Now, if you look at Augusta, if you look at neighboring North Augusta, what you will find is is that a lot of the taxpayer dollars and resources have been reallocated toward items that do not help the community as a whole. Here's what helps community. Transportation, getting to and from wherever it is that you need to get to. We assume that everyone has a car. We assume that, you know, everyone can get around conveniently, and that is simply not the case. Uh, There's also the issue of homelessness, which is rampant in Augusta. It's an issue that, you know, has been, obviously has, has been a concern for many years, but this is something that needs to be addressed. Poverty, also an issue. Hunger, also issues that need to be addressed. Now, we can come up with all of these very snazzy and clever ideas to deal with homelessness, hunger, poverty, so on and so forth. The cure for homelessness is very simple. It's housing and affordable housing, not affordable housing as in, oh, look, we're going to build these um, homes uh, and put a six-figure tag on them. No, affordable housing that is uh, in line with a livable wage or not even a livable wage, the wages that people are paid. The cure for hunger is food availability and access to food. The cure for poverty is a livable wage. Now, what does government have to do with that, you ask? It's very simple. And this is where, as a community of people, we have to be locked in to and have an understanding of what government is doing. And we have to be mindful of the people who are in these positions who are supposed to facilitate and help provide these services that, you know, some, many of them are not. They are there to, look, facilitate those who are, the, you know, they're there to take care of the rich. They're there to provide opportunity for the rich instead of providing opportunity to everyone. And those are honestly uh, politicians that that is a, a, a political dynamic that transcends race, that transcends gender. And for me, it's very simple is that if you're not there to serve the people, then you should not be a public servant. It is that simple. But ultimately when I think about more than a master's, I want to look at it quite literally. I want to look at why it is that, People are drawn to that tournament with its nasty racial history, with its um, its classist history. And it's very simple. It's the exclusive nature of the tournament. And there is a bourgeois element to it that appeals to a lot of people. And it doesn't appeal to me for that reason, because I truly believe I'm a man of the people. I, you know, conduct myself in a way where I want to see every like. We have this saying of, I want to see everybody win. Like, what does that look like? For me, that looks like people being paid an affordable wage. That looks like no child going hungry, no parent going home, no adult going hungry. That looks like people having a place to stay. Like, if we're going to say this is the you know, greatest country in the world, or maybe you feel like Georgia is the greatest state in the world, however you feel about where it is that you live, your government should conduct itself in a way that truly allows its residents to enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if it doesn't, it is deficient.
that's what more looks like. That's what better looks like. And I think that perspective is lost on a lot of us because many of us are very busy on our, you know, on ourselves, on our families. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying that as long as we are divided in that way, then we will continue to see things get progressively worse. Like we have to be realistic about, you know, the country that we live in right now when it, you know, whether it's your perspective on politics or, you know, on guns or, you know, whatever on disease and healthcare, whatever it is, like it's clear that things have not getting, gotten better. They've gotten progressively worse. And to be honest, it's up to all of us to reverse that trend. When we come back, I do want to talk about hustle mentality. I do want to get into rugged individualism. And honestly, I want to talk about how hustle mentality is kicking our ass. This is Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. When you listen to Making a Difference, you're listening to independent black media. And we need your support now more than ever. When it comes to Making a Difference, there are a lot of different ways that you can show love to what we're doing here. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, it's facebook.com backslash Macon, M-A-K-I-N, a different show. On Twitter, the handle is Difference Macon, M-A-K-I-N. You can also support us financially through both Cash App and Patreon. Patreon, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash making a difference show. You can also support us on Cash App at dollar sign making a different show. Thank you in advance for your support. And I love you so much. Peace. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your Allstate insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. It's the West Coast Diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Welcome back to Making the Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. I thought that would get your attention. Yeah, I said it, man. Hustle mentality is kicking our ass. And the reason why I'm saying that is because, you know, I'm watching, you know, folks who are, I won't say overwhelmingly successful. I'll say moderately successful. But to be fair, I see this for people who, you know, are also struggling. The language of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and man, if you just work hard enough and that you can overcome anything, you can overcome racism, you can overcome algorithms, you can overcome, you know, whatever it is that's in your way. All you have to do is work really hard. This type of uh, language also generates interesting commentary about, you know, handouts and, you know, you you shouldn't be looking for a handout and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Kind of reminds me of this song that starting to get a little radio play. Uh, it's called Painting Pictures by Superstar Pride. I'm going to play a little part of the hook here. It's kind of uh, kind of catchy. That right there is a beautiful, actually a quintessential example of rugged individualism. Uh, ain't no handouts for nobody. Uh, when I didn't have, you know, when I didn't have anything, I was not offered This is not the language of wanting to see everyone win. And honestly, this is not how 
capitalism is executed in this country. You know, everybody made a big fuss about the PPP loans and who got them, who didn't get them, who shouldn't have got them. You know, oh, man, if you don't need that money, you, you're you going to go to jail or whatever it was. There was a lot of commentary about PPP loans in the same vein that, you know, we have these commentaries about what you should and shouldn't do with your tax dollars. The interesting thing about the PPP loans, well, whatever, two things. The first thing is statistically how many African-American businesses were denied access to those particular funds. And it, and it, it turned out to be a redistribution of wealth in a lot of ways. And black people were systemically left out of that, um, left out of those handouts for lack of uh, better terms. But I would even take that a step further to look at corporate welfare and look at how many corporations and really big businesses don't pay taxes. You know, your General Electrics, um, your Amazons, folks like that, that some of them certainly do not pay their fair share in taxes and some of them do not pay taxes at all. And people will say, well, you know, that's socialism and (laughs) it's simply how capitalism works. I don't want to get into the political ideology of it too much. I simply want to look at and acknowledge just how problematic it is that black people, well, I'll say a significant portion of black people don't understand the very real need for quote unquote handouts. Maybe handouts is a dirty word. Maybe reparations is a dirty word. But the perspective on that, it it lacks historical reference. It lacks good sense, honestly. And I'm looking forward to the next episode of Making a Difference. It's going to come out next weekend. It's probably going to piss some people off because I'm going to talk about anti-black black people. And at the head of that podcast, I can imagine that I'll be talking about the NAACP president in California who, after California raised attention and urgency for reparations, uh, the NAACP president, one of the NAACP presidents out there said that black people didn't need reparations. I can tell you right now, if I was at that meeting or if I was a part of the NAACP, that man would either have to step, he'd have to, I would uh, call for um, his immediate dismissal uh, or I would have to leave that group because it is nonsensical with the understanding of the racial wealth gap and the understanding of, you know, historical uh, disrespect and marginalization of black folks to say that black people don't need reparations. It's, it's nonsensical, but I'll just simply say this, you know, as we talk about, you know, whether you want to talk about it from the perspective of, you know, hustle mentality, financial literacy, I understand the importance of having a good work ethic. I understand the importance of managing money. All I ask is that when people have these conversations, have them with the empathy that is required when you care about a community of people. And I really think that is why some of these commentaries lack the empathy, because again, we are looking at these issues from individual to individual and not in a collective way that provides for social uplift. When you hear Ken Macon talking about capitalism, I'm not talking about, I'm not hating on your ability to make money. I'm not hating on good business sense. My concern is that capitalism is about more than competition. It's about exploitation. And historically, black people have not been paid their fair share, have not been paid their worth. 
what's complicated when we talk about work, W-O-R-K, and worth, W-O-R-T-H, is that because of Stockholm Syndrome, because of the effects of racism over an extended period of time, because of the history of the of enslaved people in this country, people are inclined to associate their, oh, because of a capitalist society, people associate their worth with their work. And you have to separate the two. If you ever tie a person to the things that they do, it's easier to make that make that person or those people expendable because once they stop doing what it is that they're doing, then you're inclined to discard them. And this is what happens in America. This is what happens with health insurance. This is what happens when people get injured on the job, all of these different types of things. And what ends up happening is, is that people are pushed by the wayside. And because we are so individualistic, it's out of sight, out of mind. I'm not afraid to bring that topic to the forefront. I'm not afraid to be quote unquote, the bad guy because I care about people. I care about you person who's listening to this podcast. And that's why I'm going to talk about your value after this break. Thank you for listening to making a difference. What's going on, everybody? It's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out making a difference with my man, Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. And listen... This episode of Making a Difference and every episode moving forward will honor the life and legacy of my dear brother, James Macon. James had a way of telling the truth that endeared him to family and made him respected by his friends and peers. That standard is now my gift and my burden of responsibility. Long live St. James. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Um, I'm really sitting here talking about... <laughs> it's gotta be worth it, I guess. Let's go. I will give you the world, baby girl. You just gotta be worth it. Uh, uh, uh. You don't gotta be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. This is non conditional love. Unconditional love. You know what it is, man. You listen to making a difference. Just want to close out the podcast, man. And, you know, just really talking about your value. And your value is not. You know what it is that you do at a job. It's not your profession. It's who you are as a human being. It's who you are, you know, as really just an individual. I would even say, like, even going beyond, you know, if you're a parent, you know, if you are a caretaker, if you just, you know, a sibling, whatever it is that you do, your value goes beyond what it is that you do for other people. And I see that. Like, I've seen that, like, just in my, you know, various experiences, man, in the people who I've had a chance to come across, like, 
it's frustrating to see people's talent get choked out in the name of capitalism. And I would even go so far as to say people, just things people generally like to do, you know, get choked out because of capitalism. Oh, you know, you should, oh, you're really good at that. You know, you should try to make some money off of it. And then what happens? You try to make some money off of it and you end up hating something that you once loved to do. And it's a function of capitalism. I do want to say, and I am going to take this time to um, encourage you guys to look up a book that I had the great fortune to be an editor for, man. It's called Black Financial Culture. Uh, it's a book written by Dr. Michael Thomas. Uh, Michael Thomas, man, is look was a, a good brother and a good friend of mine before I edited the book now. But, man, really, I am forever grateful uh, for the chance to work on that book. And it's basically a book. It's not about um, – there are, of course, financial elements to it. But the defining idea of that book is empathy and I would say that the prevailing idea of that book is how have your life experiences affected the way that you interact with people and that you interact with money? And I think that's an important commentary to have because a lot of us are, you know, we're in the rat race with our kids, with, you know, our jobs, whatever, whatever it is that we're doing. And there's no end game, man. It's just run, 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 run. I'm seeing this with the baby boomers. Um, my dad is, I'm so blessed to still have my dad around. My parents are actually retired. They're in you know, their 60s and their 70s. But I'm, I'm watching these 50-year-olds, man, these 50s, I would say, you know, mid to late 50s, man. They are. And you would think, like, how how is there such a difference in between 10 and 15 years? I can tell you very simply, like, the children that were born in the 60s and the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, you would think those would be civil rights babies, but not so much. Because what happened in 1971 was the country, for well, for worse, I'll say, um, became integrated. And so a lot of what tra- what transitioned from the civil rights movement, like a lot of people translated civil the civil rights movement into, hey, man, uh, we can go, you know, work these jobs. We can go work at these jobs. Uh, I mean, and we have seen that in the last two to three years. You know, uh, the conversations about uh, the conversations after the murder of George Floyd, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about diversity, um, equity and inclusion. And a lot of those conversations have not uh, stopped systemic racism. It is in many ways perpetuated it. But I'm saying all of that to say this, like there has to be an idea of who you are, like beyond the work that you do. Because what's going to happen, and we see it happen in sports, we see it happen when people retire, is that one day you look up and you don't have any, you're retired or, you know, or or the game retires you, whatever it is, and you look up one day you're like, well, who am I? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? And that's an unfortunate uh, place to be in. And I would just encourage you to find yourself, man, like not on a mental health tip, not, I mean, not necessarily on a mental health tip, like not on on some corny stuff, but like on some real life, you know, self reflection. Man, I, I tell you, man, when my brother passed in twenty twenty one, like that, that changed me forever. Like I, like grief never goes away, man. I was, um, I just watched this last episode of Power, um, and one of the characters said that, like, you know, grief gets diluted, but it never goes away, and the anger remains, and that was just something that really stuck with me 
or stuck with me profoundly. And like I'm saying all that to say, like, we are as much as, you know, we have, you know, things that we want to accomplish and, you know, things that obviously, you know, expectations for family and, you know, kids, whatever it might be, like really just take a step back and, and really just try to balance that thing, man. Like we, we got to define ourselves. I'll say this for black men, particularly, man, we got to define ourselves through more than the things that we do for people. Like we have to find worth, you know, in brotherhood and community and something else. So that's what I leave you guys with on the podcast today. Um, as always, it's always, you know, good to spend time with y'all, man. And, you know, it's, it's love forever, man. I wish you guys the best as you go into this weekend. Look, I try to keep the podcast short and sweet, man. Um, you know, uh, I know people's attention spans are, and honestly, you know, it's, you know, it's, I hope this is just 30 minutes that bless your day, man. And with that said, I'm Ken Macon. This has been making a difference. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. See, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place will not be televised.